Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Good morning, everyone. We're just finishing up a series using Erwin Seale's um, excellent book, Learn to Live. And what he does throughout this book is use a metaphysical approach to interpret Jesus of Nazareth's parables. Um, Jesus, as you know, did most of his teaching in the form of a parable. And this book specifically helps us take a look at that from a metaphysical standpoint. So no different today, that's what we're going to do. And uh, just to remind you, I, in, in your programs, I actually put down so that you can take a look at parables yourself. We've only covered, I don't know, three or four of them this month. The book, of course, covers all of them. And what I love about the book is it really shows us how we can do our own interpretation. The first level of it, of course, is to understand the parable from a literal perspective. And sometimes that takes a little bit of work because... The stuff that happened was 2,000 years ago, and as you can imagine, things have changed a little bit. So first off, sometimes we even have to just check out what is the literal meaning with a little bit of research. Second, we use a metaphysical approach. We look beyond the, the literal meaning of the words and, and try to take a look at, uh, at the metaphors involved and how it might apply to our regular life. Then the third part of analyzing one of Jesus' parables is how does this relate to me? Does it even? Is there something that I personally can get out of this parable um, that might be useful in my daily life? So we're going to do that today with Jesus' parable of the net. So we're going to learn about fishing today. What could be more fun than that? Though, especially those of you in the audience that maybe wish you were fishing. No worries. We're, we're, we're going there today. Um, and uh, to start us out then, of course, a joke about fishing I think would be appropriate. So a man was stopped by the game warden recently. He had two buckets of fish and was leaving a lake well known for its fishing. The game warden asked the man, do you have a license? to catch these fish? The man smiled, well, no, sir, but um, these are my pet fish. <laughs> pet fish, said the warden. Well, yes, sir, every night I take these fish down to the lake and let them swim around for a bit. I whistle, they jump back into the buckets, and I take them home. <laughs> well, that's just a bunch of hooey, said the game warden. Fish can't do that. Well, the man, looking uh, with a, a sly smile, said, well, sure, it works. Here, I'll show you. The man poured the fish into the lake and stood and waited. After several minutes, the game warden turned to the man and said, well, well, what, said the man? Well, when are you going to whistle and call the fish back? What fish, said the man. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like a good fish story, I think. But actually, we need to learn about fishing 2,000 years ago if this parable is going to make any sense at all. So 2,000 years ago, no rods, no reels, and believe it or not, no understanding of even where fish came from. Believe it or not, 2,000 years ago, people thought that fish literally came about by a, a creation in the mud at the bottom of lakes and streams. Their observation was, in the winter, no fish. Look, can't see a fish. They thought literally, they didn't understand you, maybe you needed a male one and a female one or anything like that. I know it's hard to believe, but literally you could empty a fish, empty a lake of fish, and they thought, well, there's mud down there. There'll be more fish 
coming up in the spring. And so because of this, they used a practice of fishing known as the dragnet. And literally, of course, this would be illegal today because we know you, you net all the fish in a lake, there aren't going to be any fish. Back then, though, literally, even in the largest bodies of water, you'd get two, three, four people together, uh, uh, equal numbers on each side of a long net, and you'd walk along the stream, or you would take a, you know, a quarter of the lake or whatever and wade out into it and literally net all of the fish. Well, by the way that dragnets work, you also would drag up a lot of other crap pardon my French, there would be any number of, of, you know, boots and sandals. And well, you can imagine you're literally dragging your net along the bottom of the lake. So you get all kinds of stuff, but you also get all of the fish. All right. I think you're ready for the parable. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw away the bad. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, if you, I know, yeah, exactly. Uh, so if you remember right, almost all the parables that we've done started out exactly the same way. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net. So it's not saying that heaven is a net. It's not saying that heaven is a real place. What he's describing is how can we can have a heavenly or a hellish experience right here on earth. And that's where we move into the, the using this as a, as a simile, using this in the metaphysical way. And I want to start with... Uh, a little bit of reading from Ernest Seale's excellent book. I think this will put that secondary meaning in perspective for all of us. He says, the thought forms of both the just man and the criminal are all mixed up in the sea of consciousness. You are always fishing in this sea, whether you choose to do so or not, because your mind is like that net continually being drawn through the sea, through the waters of our own consciousness. This parable, like so many others, stressed the need for judgment and discrimination, the selection of what is good and the rejection of what is no longer useful. For in reverie and in fantasy, and yes, even in prayer, the mind can bring in a motley catch. <laughs> then we must proceed to just select the best and discard the worst. So if you'll remember a couple weeks ago, we, <laughs> we had a, a few laughs around the parable of the ten virgins. And if you'll remember, the idea of the virgins was our senses, that, that five of them are our usual senses of touch and taste, of seeing and hearing and so forth. And that also another five exist, if you will, our inward senses, our, our foresight, our being able to feel from the heart, our intuition. And between the two of them, 
That is how we learn about the world, right? From an early age, we're almost like a blank slate. When we're born into the world, um, scientists have shown very, very few things that we're actually born with. A, a fear of heights, for instance, and loud noises are, are the two main things that we're born with. Otherwise, we're pretty much a clean slate. So how do we fill up this slate? How do we fill up our consciousness? Through those, those five or, or ten, depending on how you look at it, senses that we have. And what also I think is interesting is if you talk to a, a psychologist, if you talk to a, a brain scientist, even if you talk to a hypnotist, they will tell you everything that you've encountered in your life is still there. Now, we can't always bring it forth easily into our mind. We can't always recall that third grade birthday party or, you know, or whatever it is. And, and in fact, I've been noticing the last few years, sometimes it's harder for me to remember some things that I would like to remember. But they will tell us it's there. It's just our ability to tap into it that kind of fades or goes away as those memories get older and older. And in fact, I don't know, have you ever noticed that sometimes just a, a glimpse of something or even a smell of something or, a, or an old photograph will suddenly, oh my gosh, I remember that birthday party. I totally remember that first year at college or whatever it is. Something will, will, will trigger a memory. Well, here I think is where the dragnet comes in because our consciousness is always dredging up new thoughts. Sometimes their thoughts may be planted as seeds by other people. Sometimes their memories. Sometimes their pictures from the past. But everything that was ever loaded into us through those ten senses is there and available. And oh my gosh, doesn't it just come up for you now and then? The good with the bad. The, the strange with the wonderful. The, the mundane with the, 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 the perfect. It's simply all there like that dragnet and seemingly we don't even have much control over what comes our way. I want to use an example, um, something really personal to me to, to illustrate this maybe further. Many of you know that I'm actually coming up this year on 20 years clean and sober. And uh, I want to, well, th thanks, thank you. But I want to talk about a, a time when I had only been sober for about a year. And I went to my sponsor one day and I said, I'm still thinking about drinking nearly every day. And my sponsor looked me right in the eye and said, well, I have good news and I have bad news. And I said, well, obviously, please tell me the good news. And he said, the good news is with additional time, you won't think about drinking so much. And I said, well, what's the bad news? He said, you may always, always have thoughts have compelling feelings, have that urge to take a drink. You may always have it. And it kind of sent a chill through me in a way. It's like I'm used to the idea of, uh, of getting a shot for something and it's just gone. I'm used to the idea that there is something I can do, something in the physical world. And hopefully, you know, I'm one of those people that likes things done quickly too, sadly. Uh, you know, well, isn't there something that can be done? And the answer is, I think, yes, there is something that can be done. And I learned it in AA, and that is each thought that comes up, it isn't even the thought that's bad or good. It's what we do with it. 
It's whether we take an action that is positive or negative. It's whether that thought, whatever it is, whatever the dragnet of our mind dredges up and, and, and allows you to see in clarity, it's what we do with that. We're not defined by our past. We're not defined by the thoughts we have. They're just things. And ultimately, we can choose what we do with those thoughts. I remember my uh, same sponsor said, you know, thoughts are, are just like birds and they're no trouble unless you let them build a nest. And so I want to ask you all, as we begin the interpretation on a personal level of this parable, are there areas in your own life where you are choosing poorly? Now, if we look at the parable, I think one way of looking at this idea isn't to think that the fish are particularly bad or particularly good, right? The idea of catching the fish is that some are nourishing and so I would ask you, are you nourishing your own life with your thoughts and therefore the actions that you take based on them? Because something else I learned uh, from my time in, uh, uh, in abuse counseling and, uh, and in AA is that some things are black and white, but most things aren't. As an alcoholic, I could say, well, I'll choose never to take another drink. And each day I can keep making that choice. And it's pretty easy to see that there's no way that taking another drink is going to nurture me or nourish me. And so each day I can raise to that occasion. And when a thought of drinking comes, I can say, well, I'm taking the correct choice. You know, at age 40, I was faced with something else. Up until age 40, my eating habits and my exercise habits were so wonderful and suddenly at age 40, without me changing anything on the outside, it was as though someone threw a switch and my metabolism changed. <laughs> and suddenly all of the things that were good for me, my light exercise and my easy way of being with my body and the amount of food I ate and the things that I liked to eat that had so well served me, Right? We're now serving a bigger, a bigger me. I can't just stop eating. Right? I can't use the same logic exactly that I used to not drink anymore. And you know what? I think we're faced with these kinds of issues, these kinds of thoughts, these kind of fish being caught in our dragnet all the time. It's not as obvious as, well, if I eat this fish, it's poisonous and I'm going to die, right? The very things that give us pleasure also can cumulatively kill us off in the end. We have to pay attention to really what nourishes us, not just for this one meal, not just in this one instant. We have to have a sense of really, on an ongoing basis, what is good for us, what is wholesome for us, what is positive for us, and be able, with thought after thought and choice after choice, to make good decisions. And what I would say is, those decisions are getting made, right? Uh, again, we, we have a rich history of everything we have done up until now that if we do nothing, right, we'll just move forward in it. We'll keep doing what we've always done. We'll have the habits of our past. So, so it's not like uh, we consciously have to make every decision. But oh my gosh, if we don't, 
If we don't make the decision, that in itself is making the decision. And then, what's the decision? I'm going to get more of the same. And so if I'm a little bit chunky now and I make no decisions to the contrary, you can expect me a little bigger next year and a little bigger next year. If perhaps our our relationship isn't going so well and I don't change anything, you can expect that our relationship will be a little more rocky next year and a little more rocky the year after that. It's the way life works. It's the way that dragnet works. If we just indiscriminately take it all in and act on all of it, we can expect a a fairly good mess of things. Something's good, something's bad, something's outright poisonous, other things completely delightful. One of our jobs, truly I believe that one of our jobs is to simply be aware of what we're thinking as though each thought coming to us, as though each decision was a conscious one. And I think that even if we can improve our decision making to make it even slightly more conscious, then we get ever better at selecting, you know, which of those thoughts, which of those, those fish from the story are good for us. Now, some of them will be obvious, right? Like, like my choice to, n- to not drink anymore. That might be an obvious one. It, 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 in fact, it probably was obvious to so many people in my life, even when it wasn't obvious to me, right? So we'll get all kinds of evidence, I think, in our own lives about the easy choices, the ones that are black and white. And I, I'm hoping that everyone here, those kinds of decisions, the easy ones have already been made. If not, you know, please seek out one of the licensed practitioners, make an appointment with me. We can do some referrals, you know, the the outright dangerous behaviors that can be taken care of, we'll take care of them with you. We're here as a family and we'll do that. But the private ones are a little tougher. The little places where we discount ourselves, the, the places where we don't do harmful things in the moment, but cumulative, the little self-talk that says I'm not good enough. Does that really hurt me right in this second? Probably not. But what does 20 years of thinking that I'm not quite good enough, or that I'm maybe not quite lovable enough, or that relationships you know, usually don't end that well for me, what does 20 years of that kind of thinking do? It's scary, isn't it? When we continually affirm in our own minds that we're not what we should be or, or that we can't do things or that we shouldn't do things that are good for us or the reverse, if we continually play up some of the negativity in our lives. Either way, what we're doing is we're eating the fish that aren't good for us. I want to read the rest of the parable here. I stopped partway through. So then Jesus continued, Have you understood all these things? Yes, they replied. And then he said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven, that means anyone who wants to experience heaven right here on earth, is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Do you realize we not only have the choice of selecting the good fish from the bad fish, We have the choice of creating our own. Sometimes the patterns of a lifetime have simply got us into trouble. And selecting among them 
is a little bit like accepting which of the bad fish do I want. You know, that was the other thing that I learned in my experience in Alcoholics Anonymous was that it was my rotten thinking that got me into that situation. And so could I use that same frame of mind, those same experiences, those same thoughts to get me out of it? That's why I had a sponsor. That's why I had someone that could give me new ideas, completely new ones, rather than me falling back on my own experiences. My own experiences were leading me to ruin. So, not only do we need to look at our thoughts for their validity, not only do we need to look at our ideas and our choices for being good or bad, but there are times when you'll find yourself, like me, saying, oh my gosh, they all look like bad choices. In this particular area in my life, I've pretty much made a career maybe of making bad choices. <laughs> Choosing among them isn't such a good idea. You know what, that's when we ask for help. That is when we go to see a, a, maybe a specialist, we get a sponsor. Maybe that is when uh, we find a, a life coach or we go see a practitioner. That's when Reverend Sharon and I are available to meet with you and perhaps give you a little bit of help in improving your thinking. Thoughts become things. And it is that ability, I think, to begin choosing our thinking, to begin minimizing the thinking that isn't healthy, and to begin acting upon the things that truly nourish us. Uh, nourish us. That is how we make progress in the world. That is how, after 20 years, I seldom think of having a drink. 19 years ago, I could smell liquor on someone's breath at least three miles away. <laughs> Today, maybe six, eight, ten months will go by. This is the power of really just noticing where your attention lies. After a while, the things that you don't act upon, the things that you dismiss, dismiss the things that you just shrug your shoulders and go, yeah, that was a crazy thought, there it goes. Those things with less frequency will come into your mind, will trouble you less over time. And the things that we embrace, the things that we actively make choices based on, the, hopefully the, the goodness and the life-affirming items, the things that truly nourish our souls, those will grow. Those will multiply. Those will begin filling our mind with love and delight. I'm going to close today with a final quote from this book. Um, he gives us actually some advice. So, so through, the, uh, through the, the large part of this, he was saying kind of what not to think, like how to choose not to act upon the negative thoughts. But, but I thought it was interesting that he closes this section with some ideas around what to think. And he actually quotes uh, also from the New Testament from Philippians uh, so, uh, so Seal says, there is one standard to guide the thinking, to guide the meditation, and therefore the selective functions of our mind. And Paul gives it to us in these words. This is Philippians 4.18. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, and whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, and whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue in them, and if there be any praise, then these, these are the things to think upon. Let us pray.
There is one power, one presence, one life, one love. There is only that unified sense of the divine in this world. And as Star mentioned in her prayers, it goes by many names. And yet, it is only one thing. It is God. And what I know about God is it is the, the wisdom of the ancients that every, every good thought, every wise notion, every good habit exists in the mind of God. That is its nature. And as that dragnet of our own minds comes through us, each of us can make decisions, can exercise that true freedom in our minds and in our hearts to choose. I know it's true for me, and on this day, I claim that capability for each person in this room, that each person here, with each passing day, has that ability to more easily determine what's going on in their own head, and to choose wisely, to allow those thoughts to just pass through unbidden if they are no longer useful or if they're harmful, if they resent something that is unwholesome, it just fades from sight. And equally, I know that each person here, including myself, makes great choices to further life, to increase love, to bring more peace, to experience greater joy. These are the choices that each of us makes with greater, greater security with each passing day. I'm grateful for this. I simply let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you for being here today. So glad you joined us this morning. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.